have a question for you. Has anybody here ever became tired of talking? <laughs> they may be tired of talking about the same thing over and over again. Maybe there's somebody that you said something to them over and over again, you just get tired of saying it. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you said it so much you just didn't want to say it anymore. And it felt like it was falling on deaf ears. And maybe we've had those deaf ears before. Anybody been there? That I remember my grandmother used to say to me, she said, you know, a hard head makes a soft backside. <laughs> and she was wondering when it was going to soak in, when it was going to get in. And so often if we're not careful, we can be on both sides of that fence where we can get weary of saying the same thing over. But it's so important that we don't grow silent. That's the message this morning. Don't grow silent. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 18 verse 9 and 10 and we get to see a little bit of Paul's journey as Paul is on his second missionary uh, journey and he is ministering uh, to many. He's ministering to Athens. He's ministering uh, had just a uh, few uh, chapters earlier left Lazarus where he was stoned uh, and he is uh, in the area of Corinth and he's speaking to the people and here's what as he's speaking and he spends some time and takes some time to just go and rest and he's resting at night and God comes to him the Lord Jesus comes to him in a vision and this is the words that he says in verse 9 and 10 and then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And as we look at this passage of scripture and, and get an understanding, as the Bible tells in all our getting, getting understanding, it's important that we understand the backdrop of what's going on here and what Paul's dealing with and the setting of the stage. And so this particular passage of scripture in the book of Acts, Paul is visiting the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth is the capital of the Roman province of Acadia, uh, which we would understand to be southern Greece. And so there are Grecians here, there are Greeks, those that you know, uh, are, are used to doing things a certain way. And Corinth was known for its immorality even from ancient times, due partly because of the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was in that very city. I'm not going to get into details because I know we have some children in the audience today, but you can just understand what may be going on when you have this kind of environment. In the New Testament times, Corinth was a place of wealth and indulgence, much like New York City, Los Angeles, New Orleans, yeah, I said it, <laughs> and many other big cities across the world. 
Hence, to live as a Corinthian meant to live in luxury and immorality. Many of these problems afflicted the Corinthian church. And as you see there, there is something that we need to understand about Paul as well. See, after his conversion to a child of God, Paul was a man who was associated with suffering. To talk about Paul is to talk about a man who suffered great affliction, one who had seen his share of hard times. The scriptures remind us that he was imprisoned in Philippi, that he escaped from Thessalonica, that he was escorted from Berea, that he was stoned and left for dead in Laster, and that he was ignored in Athens. They said, get out of here, Paul. And so Paul understood that being a bondservant, being a child of God, meant that his life was not his own and that he was crucified with Christ. As Galatians 2.20 tells us, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who cared for me and gave himself for me. But see, Paul also penned the phrase while writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15.55, he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so we can imagine and think about Paul, this man who had all this happen to him, who, who, who knew suffering. You would not call Paul a wimp, would you? If there was anybody you could think about, you wouldn't call Paul somebody that was a wimp, that w didn't know how to endure. So we get to this passage of Scripture why would Jesus come to Paul in the middle of the night in a vision and say, be not afraid? That don't even pass the common sense test, right? Of all the people. But speak and hold not thy peace. See, it's important that we take a moment and just to think about and meditate why would Jesus say that to Paul? Why would he tell this brave, courageous man who endured so much suffering to hold not your peace? Don't grow silent. So it's important that we look at why we grow silent, why we can cause not to say things or keep it to ourselves. And maybe it's just the reality that we living in this flesh, we get tired. Anybody ever been there? You just get tired? You just get weary? And we know that the Bible reminds us to don't grow weary with well-doing. And maybe you, at, at times you feel like there's nobody listening. See, Jesus reminded him in this very vi vision, he said, for I have much people in this city. Because see, so often when we're saying things over and over again and things are not changing and seems like people are not listening, it can have an effect on us. We can think that our words don't have value, they don't have power. Well, the reality of the truth of the matter is our words don't, but his words do. 
His words are sharper than any two-edged sword. His words bring life and peace. And it's so important that we remember that we're not speaking our words, but it's his words that are so important that we don't grow silent on. Maybe we don't see the results that we're waiting and we, 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 we keep sharing, but we don't see the results. It's like we're planting on rocky ground. And we're so desiring just to see a little bit of fruit of our labors. It's so important that we be reminded that one plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. And that in his love and mercy, he was long-suffering for each and every one of us. So I remember and I wonder how many folks may have had that same mindset with hard-headed Jeff Williams. But they kept sharing. I can't tell you how many countless times I sat in my grandmother's kitchen and in dining room and had a meal with her and over and over and she, as she was getting older she lived to be 90 years old and I would think well when is she just gonna rest but she would always cook I'm like 90 plus 90 years old and she cooking she putting a meal in front of me she's sharing see she didn't grow weary she didn't grow silent Maybe she wasn't going to see it with her natural eyes, but she believed that God would give the increase. And so maybe as we think about that, why we grow silent, maybe it's also because we get familiar with our surroundings. Because see, when you're on a battlefield, your senses are heightened. You're always looking for danger. You're always looking for the trip or the snare. But when we come to an area that we get comfortable with, we're not able to see it so clearly. We can get comfortable. There can be dangers all around us, but we don't see them like we once did. It can be hard to get to see and understand that we're in a battle, that we're on the battlefield for the Lord. And before you know it, that silence creeps in. But see, there's something else that we see in this epistle that's so important for us to understand as we take a look at just the very next verse in Acts chapter 18, verse 11. Jesus gives this vision. He tells them, you know, don't go silent. Make sure that you're speaking. But then in verse 11, it says, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Maybe when Paul had this vision, he didn't realize he was going to be spending 18 months in Corinth. Can you all think about it? Imagine that if you had to live 18 months in downtown New Orleans, Bourbon Street. And so maybe we can just look at this and see that Jesus knew a little bit more than Paul knew at this time. 
maybe he knew a little bit more than we knew, and, and he knew that there would be some consistency, there would need to be some trying, uh, there would be some trying of his faith, that he would need to be steadfast. And even when it seemed like nobody was listening, to keep speaking, keep preaching, keep teaching. See, in this particular situation, Paul was going to spend an extended amount of time sowing the word of God into those in Corinth to be consistent with the word of God. It's not an easy task, but it's a task worth undertaking. That not only are we to be consistent with receiving the word of God, we should be consistent with, with, with sharing the word of God. Because look at the power of it. Look at the benefit of it. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of who? God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, God was do doing a work here. And he knew that maybe there would be some Johns and maybe there would be some Olivers and maybe there would be some, some, some Micahs and maybe there would be some Sams that probably when they heard it for the first time, it didn't completely stick. And they needed someone that would be willing to be consistent in season and when it definitely was out of season. When it, wasn't, when it isn't fashionable to talk about God and his redemptive power. When there's so much fun stuff, lust stuff going on all around us, why would we be talking about this? And so Jesus and his infinite wisdom came to him and he said, be not afraid. Don't fear. Speak. Don't grow silent. Don't grow weary with well-doing. And don't get tired. Don't hold your peace. Continue to speak the truth. Speak it boldly. Speak it confidently. Speak, speak it consistently. And watch God do something with it. Watch how powerful his word is. Watch how there's going to be some reproof. There's going to be some correcting. There's going to be some instruction in righteousness for this city. Because maybe, Paul, maybe you don't see all that, that, that are coming, but Jesus sees it all. He says, I have many. Maybe we don't understand the big plan, but he knows it. Maybe you're looking at that neighbor or that friend, that family member, and you're saying, no way, no how. They too messed up. They too mean. I'm just going to be transparent with you. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it in my mind. There was no way the Lord could save my mean evil, nasty sister. She, 
she ain't hearing. Lord, I just need to stop saying stuff. When I say stuff, she gets mad. She uh, curses me out. She persecutes all these things. I just want peace. You ever been there? I just want us to be able to go to a family dinner or go to a family event and it not be chaos. But the Lord saw her at the very point of her need. He saw the hurt. He saw the pain. And I remember she said to me one day, She said, I was just testing. I heard what you said. I wanted to know if it was real, if you truly believed it. But I remember that day she called me, just wanting to share with me. And we're sitting on her bed. Tears are running from her eyes. And she was giving her heart to Jesus. See, what I couldn't see with my natural eyes, God could see in the spirit. And he knew. I'm so thankful that some of her last words were, do not weep for me. Why are you crying? I'm going to be with my Jesus. So maybe you've been there. Maybe you felt weary and tired and felt like you just needed to be silent. See, here's what I've learned. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And to care for others, it's going to hurt. It's going to have some trial. It's going to have some, some pain associated with it. But as you care for others... Enough to not be silent. Watch God do an amazing work. Don't allow what's going on in this world to take away what God has gifted you with. See, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. There's so much, no, we shouldn't just be saying anything. That we should be very skillful, spiritually led, directed with our words. So that hope would come out of us. That Christ would be magnified in and through us. See, there's a reason for it all. I want to give you some insights of some of the reason that is so important that we don't grow silent. See, verse 12 and 13 gives us a little bit of glimpse in that same chapter in Acts 18. 
Here's what it says. When Gallio was proconsul of Acadia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. See, Gallio was, in the essence, uh, in the position of a judge. And so he would oversee this judgment seat that was in Corinth. And this judgment seat, as we look through Scripture and we understand what we're seeing when we see that word judgment seat, it means the bema seat. It's a place of ex- where it's extended, it's high off the ground, and it's a seat of a judge. And that judge sits there in this ancient Greece time and this bema seat, which is typically in the center of a form or in a marketplace, or even when you're in the Olympic Stadium, they have a judgment seat. But this bema at Corinth is translated court or a tribunal. So they would view and see cases. They were, cases would come before him, and so the Jews brought Paul before this judgment seat to be judged by Gallio, the proconsul of Acadia. And so Paul is going to be judged, or they desire that Paul be judged. And so there's a question that comes to mind that is so important that we understand, saints, that there is a judgment upon all of us. The question is, how do you want to be judged? And what do you want to be judged by? See, this judgment seat that we're seeing in Corinth is a little bit different from the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you, it's a whole lot different than the judgment seat of Christ. See, this judgment seat of Gallio represents the works of the world, the judgment of man. Well, that judgment seat of Christ represents the judgment by the works of Christ in and through us. So this Greek translation, which uses the word judge, in an essence has two senses to it. One sense uh, for judgment is for condemnation, that they would bring them below before this judgment seat to decide whether or not they were going to condemn them or not, find them guilty. And then there's a second sense in this word judge, that this judge happens a purpose for, and it's for the giving out of rewards. Did you hear that? So one for condemnation, the other for rewards. See, the Bible says unbelievers will be judged in the first sense under condemnation, while believers will be judged in the other sense for reward. The question is, which one you want? Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. See, Paul is dealing with life and death in Corinth. 
that there are those there taking him before this judgment seat that is unto man's works, that is unto condemnation, and it's a representation of where we, in and of ourselves, the state we're in without Christ. But in Christ, we are freed from that condemnation. Romans 8 reminds us there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And so there's a judgment, a tribunal for reward. It's so important that we be on this side of that judgment seat. And, the, and so in large Olympic arenas, Judges would hold a tribunal for rewards. The beamer here is a tribunal, tribunal, not unto condemnation, but to rewarding of crowns. And so after the contests were over, the successful competitors would assemble before the beamer to receive their rewards or crowns. The beamer here is not of a judicial bench where someone was condemned. It was a reward seat. Just think about that a little bit. See, here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 tells us about striving for a crown. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, win it. See, he's given us the picture there. He says, there's a judgment for, for all of us. But when we know Christ, there's a judgment for reward. And so let's run. Run in a way that we would run to obtain it. To obtain it for ourselves, to obtain it for others. Encourage them. See, Paul, pa Paul's purpose here is not just to, to one and done. See, he had been doing a lot of that going across the entire region as an apostle as a church planner, as an evangelist, sharing the word of God. But now God was speaking to him and said, okay, now let's take some root for a little bit of time because there is others that need to be strengthened, that need to be built up. Yes, there, there is a need of salvation to move from this side of judgment to this side. But we want to be edifying and building up and convincing and reproving so that each believer would run the race to win, to receive the reward. And that takes some time. That takes a convincing argument. That takes being willing to show them how much you care. So they'll be willing to run the race as well. And so he's asking Paul to don't be afraid, be strengthened. The Bible speaks of a special judgment that God will hold for believers only. It is known as the judgment seat of Christ. 
or the judgment seat of God. See, Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what we have done, whether good or bad. So maybe as we hear that, we go, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know that. See, God wants to give us rewards. He's already given us salvation. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer on this side of judgment. But there is such an important remembrance that is not over yet. That there is a reward to be had. That there is somebody that's in need of hearing the words from you. That maybe we would win others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to his love. And so we don't do it so we can get an extra crown, but we do it because they are the crown. Can you imagine that day with souls, with believers that are there because you was just nauseating. You was just worrisome. You was just bothersome. You wouldn't shut up. And they run. Embrace. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful you were a nag. <laughs> See, the judgment seat of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful seat. That God wants to reward us. He said, look what you've done. Look at the good. Look at the beauty. So Jesus spoke these words in John 16, 33. He says, these things I have spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, God's overcome all of this. Jesus is greater than any of these trials, than any of these tribulations. He's given us a voice. The world may condemn us, but God has set us free. God has not condemned us. He has set us free by the blood of Christ. He has a judgment seat that he wants to reward us. 
And the measure of our reward will be by the measure in which we speak. So speak on. Don't hold your peace. Don't grow silent no matter what it looks like. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God is so excited about that day that we will see him face to face. And generations upon generations upon generations will be blessed because you did not grow silent. To the glory of God, eternally in the heavens.